Greetings, this is Kurt. This is a continuation of the third and largest portion of Book One, Enchanter's Lot. If this is your first visit to the Harkin Theater, we recommend you step back and find the first episode of Prelude, The Hostage Prince. Otherwise, make yourself comfortable as we continue the performances. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and share on your favorite platform. Comments and questions directed to our email will be answered promptly. If you care to be a preferred audience member and help in keeping these complex productions coming, please buy me a coffee via the website coffee.com listed with the description of each episode. And thank you for listening. Who is responsible for that horrible sound? Speak up! Apologies, Maestro. Just a little jam in me double horn. <laughs> Keep your jam in the double jar. Ready? Ready to lift the game! Step through the gateway and enter the universe of the Harkin Theater. This is Episode 3. The Harkin Theater presents the sound plays of A Bridge of Doom by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Book One, Part Three, Enchanter's Lot. Supreme's name happened. Thasgar picked himself up off the floor, his hands groping for a stalagmite anchor. You may have answered yourself. Gone! You all right? I... Damn, where's all the light gone? As if at the archer's request, the crystals beneath the dragon slowly regained their fire, illuminating the grotto with their dim, ruddy glow. Flana? Gawon! Here! She got up from where she had fallen against a broken stalagmite. Remembering their oversized opponent, she glanced up to see the shape of the giant looming over her, motionless. The mountain man, he doesn't move. Nor his hounds. Thasgar stared at the large dogs frozen in mid-stride between the entrance and their master. What happened? Did Gawan do this? Flaina made her way over to the dragon and found Gawan lying unconscious at its feet, the crystal Gunther had taken resting beside his open hand. At first, she feared the shape-changer had attacked him, but a quick glance at Gunther with her arrow in his neck and lying motionless among the hot crystal just as he had fallen confirmed he was still unconscious, maybe even dead. Gawan is out! They ran to where she knelt beside the enchanter. Gon stopped halfway and scowled with concentration at the rock wall behind the dragon. 
then went to fetch his tools. Is he wounded? Clough knelt beside her. No. She touched her palm to his forehead. But he feels hot, like he's feverish. Gawan rolled his head over. When he opened his eyes, they glowed bright silver for just an instant. But he blinked, and they were suddenly normal. Flaina doubted seeing anything more than a reflection of the dim light. Clough frowned as he noted the loose crystal's proximity to Gawan's hands, then picked it up and looked it over. He did not catch what Flaina had seen in his love brother's eyes. Oh. The half-elf stroked his brow and his cheeks to revive him. Oh, head hurts. What did you do? Uh, yeah. What? What was your command? The elf ignored Gawan's discomfort, used to the headaches his friend would get during those occasions when he overextended himself in channeling power. They were usually short-lived. I, uh, I, I didn't get a chance to. He sat up slowly as his expression relaxed. Oh. Oh, that's better now. Then what happened? Gawan blinked uncomprehendingly at his love brother. Did something happen? All I remember is picking up that stone and preparing a spell against those hounds. He jerked his head around with wide eyes. Are they... He took in the mountain man and his giant hounds frozen in motion, like a nightmare attack preserved in living statues. The mountain man's wide black eyes, shaggy beard, and bared yellow teeth was an unmoving visage of astonishment and anger. The flame on the brand in his hand was also frozen, its glow strangely quiescent. This, in particular, bothered him, but he wasn't sure why just yet. His mental fatigue resisted any attempt at deeper thought. As you can see, we're safe for the moment. And you don't remember anything? No. The elf nodded and exchanged a concerned glance with Flaina. Perhaps that's best. It wasn't pleasant. Aye. Let's gather our stuff and get out of here before the spell, or whatever it is, ceases. The prospect of finding their way back out of the lost city after wandering for more than three days in its depths was not encouraging. Perhaps the entrance through which the mountain man had come offered a quick way out. Gawan furrowed and unfurrowed his brow as he rubbed away the last echoes of his headache. Mm, agreed. Thasgar noticed the dwarf, with a hammer in his hand, poking around behind the dragon. Gone? Found you! He raised his hammer. Again, the floor shook, but only slightly this time. Gon had detected a trigger set among the stalagmites. The wall adjacent to the one the mountain man had come through rumbled aside in a wreath of dust. Everyone pressed their hands against their ears. Magnificent light spilled in from beyond. Fresh, cool air flowed in with the rays of the setting sun. Happily blinking and squinting their eyes, which had grown used to darkness and dim light during their time underground, the five friends made their way to the huge opening and gazed upon the panorama of wilderness. The cave entrance was set in the western face of a cliff that overlooked a valley of dense trees. Clough inhaled with relief upon seeing land and sky again and silently vowed never to let himself be trapped beneath the soil that nourished the forests he loved. 
The others, too, breathed deeply of the sweet air. They were free of the underground. Then the elf felt a strange, growing discomfort. He heard only his companions and nothing else. No wind, no birds, no distant sound of animals disturbing the brush. Strange. It's so quiet. He strained for any noise. The others became still and listened in wonderment. Too quiet. The mountains and the valley. God, no! Gawan's eyes suddenly wide with horror. He glanced back in the cave at the mountain man's frozen torch, then at the double suns hovering over the distant horizon. This cannot be! He stumbled to the cliff's edge and looked all around. This is impossible! Chapter 3 Maybe on a small scale, maybe, but the entire world? What are you talking about? Time. Clough stared at the horizon where the still blazing suns hovered motionless, their absent warmth uncomforting. It has stopped. His knuckles turned white around the large gemstone he still held in his hands. You're addled. Look at them. The elf jabbed his arm toward the suns. Have they moved? Have the clouds shifted? Both the archer and the dwarf surveyed the sky, then glanced at each other warily. Mm. Thasgar stepped cautiously to where Gawan stared incredulously and shook his head at the ground. Did you do this? Gawan frowned and looked up at his friend. I don't remember. Thasgar grabbed his arm and squeezed it hard. What doom have you wrought on us? The enchanter jerked away from him and sat down on the ground. I don't know. He started picking dried mud off the thick cuffs of his scarred brown boots. The archer scowled at him, not sure whether or not to be angry, and, after it became clear nothing more would be said, turned and walked back toward the cave entrance. He knew better than to press his friend. Flaina came and sat at the enchanter's side. <clears throat> Afraid of what he might be feeling, she waited for any response from him. When there was none forthcoming, she looked to the horizon. I wish I could offer some sort of consolation, but when someone feels responsible for disrupting things, somehow affecting the entire world in such a drastic way, what solace can be given? She looked over at Clough, staring into the distance. I wonder what he's thinking. If anyone could help Gaywan's mood, only he could. Clough mulled over the events leading up to the phenomenon, knowing too well of Gaywan to think him responsible for this impossible error of existence itself. He alone had been with Gaywan through all his riads of training and practice in the works of power. If nothing else, the root of these discourses always returns to the total awareness of one's actions and the debt incurred no matter how small or great. In turn, this links enchant with the religious path of the freethinkers. 
He shook his head. No, it cannot be something Gawain has done, and Calron is nowhere to be seen. I'm sure the Dark Mage would deign to appear and laugh at us, all just to satisfy his ego if he had been responsible. And that leaves the dragon. If serpents are capable of such power, and it's still frozen. Therefore, it has to be something in the dragon's crystal. He looked at the stone as he spun it slowly in his palm. Certainly beautiful. Despite its rough-hewn, uneven facets and lopsided shape, what is this thing? And why was it kept around the neck of a bronze dragon hidden in a cavern? He held it up between the suns and his eyes and gazed at the refracted light shining through. So beautiful. Without warning, he saw not the crystal, but a pair of wiry hands reaching out of an opening for him. Pressure engulfed his consciousness with an invisible squeeze, and everything went dark. Clough? Flaina had seen the elf's thoughtful expression go suddenly blank. Thasgar and Gon turned to look, as did Gawan. A maniacal leer spread over Clough's face. In his hand, the crystal had gone strangely dark. <laughs> Clough, no! Flaina leaped up and grabbed for his hand, holding the stone. But he turned out of reach and flicked a finger at her. She was thrown back against the cliff face as if by a giant hand. She fell to her knees from the rock wall, then on all fours. His expression dangerous, Gawan stood up and faced the elf. Clough dropped the stone carelessly and stabbed a finger at the half-elf as he looked at Gawan. His eyes fairly glowed with a demented light. Come no closer or I will kill her. Glancing at where Flaina stood up slowly, a hand on the wall behind her for support, she seemed shaken but otherwise all right. Then at Thasgar and Gon, who warily observed the interchange, the enchanter lifted his hands in a gesture of neutrality. His own brief experience with the stone, plus recognizing the signs of what a common person might call demonic possession, he believed it prudent to take the entity's threat as genuine until he knew more about its abilities. Where am I? On a cliff. Somewhere in the Ridgewest Mountains, Clough's wide eyes wavered back and forth. Ridgewest? Ridgewest? Then snapped his gaze back to the Enchanter. That name means nothing to me. What world is this? A chill cascaded down Gawan's spine. This was no ordinary wandering entity or entrapped spirit. For an instant he was reminded of Paul, but knew this being was very different and most likely very unstable. World? The entity within Clough raised an eyebrow. World? Or is this a random pocket floating in the lower astral plane? This world is called Phaeac. Again, the wide gray eyes floated back and forth as the entity searched its memory. Phaeac? Sounds vaguely familiar. Not that it matters, of course. He looked at Gawan again and smiled darkly. I am free! That is what matters. Who are you? Be still. His eyes narrowed, his expression shifting to that of suspicion. 
I will ask the questions. Gaewan closed his eyes as he suppressed a sigh. First, the shape changers, then Tisha, the dragon, Gunther, the mountain man, the cessation of time, and now someone or something possessing his love brother's body. If he had known the manhunt for a renegade mage would have led to this unbelievable chain of events, he would have refused it and resorted to scrubbing pots in the Brass Dragon Tavern's kitchen for sustenance, if need be. Regardless, here he was with his friends on a cliff in the middle of the wilderness. Lamentation for chosen actions served nothing. Determined to see this situation to its completion, even if that meant eventual death. He opened his eyes and gazed steadily at Clough. Whoever you are, you have no right to take possession of my friend's body. Clough rested a hand on the hilt of his sword and looked at Gaewan differently, as if trying to determine just who this was challenging him. Do you have a right to flatten the insects that inadvertently cross your path? Of course! For you are greater than they. By that same coin do I have the right to take what I wish now that I am once again free. And now I will squash you as the insects you are. No, you won't. The enchanter hoped he sounded more confident than he felt. Short of hurting Clough's body, he wasn't sure exactly how to deal with this entity. Clough swung his sword, his eyes burning crazily. Come close, insect, and I will show you. Thasgar and Gon had their weapons ready, but wavered with uncertainty as they backed away. They, too, didn't like the idea of dueling with a possessed elf, especially because of his sword, which made him the superior fighter among them. Release my friend. Clough leered as he stepped toward the enchanter. Give me your soul, and I will. In an exaggerated gesture, Gawain pointed at the elf with the first two fingers of his right hand. I give you this! A white streak flashed toward Clough and was deflected by his blade, the air hissing with a clash of energies. Gawain released a second streak at Clough's sword hand, channeling a more powerful thrust this time. And this! The weapon sprang away from the elf's grasp and skittered across the ledge. No! It held Clough's hand in pain and stared in shock at Gawain. Flaina jumped from where she had been waiting near the wall behind and kicked his legs out from under him, bringing him face down on the ground. Tazgar and Gon dropped to either side, and, as he tried to get up, they grabbed his arms and held them against his back. What do we do now? Thasgar forced the bucking elf back down by sitting on him. We can't just kill him. I will eviscerate you, all of you. Clough craned his head up, spat dirt, and glared rabidly at Gawain. You are the one who disturbs the continuum of time. Clough's eyes widened with terror at the motionless sky. No, 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 not you! (gasps) Look! Flaina pointed to a shimmering just above the cliff's ledge. 
At first it seemed like nothing more than a reflection of sunlight on water, scintillating with shades of gold. Then the very fabric of the air swirled, like the spinning vortex of a tornado, then dissipated into a sphere of coruscating color. Like a vision out of myth, a carved stone archway with steps leading down from it appeared hovering over the cliff. Beyond it shone bright blue sky with golden clouds drifting past. The silhouette of a tall man stepped through with light following him. Robed in cloth of brown with threads of gold, he walked casually down the stairs and surveyed the cliff and the cavern. A flaxen, closely trimmed beard framed his mouth beneath a regal nose. An aura of pale, shifting color encircled his curly, flaxen hair. Behind him followed four escorts in white. As he stepped onto the stone ledge, he stopped and, with piercing eyes of bright silver, moved a curious gaze across the scene. Three individuals holding down a fourth, with another one standing near. Needing no further evidence of this being's superiority, Gaewan knelt. Salutations, Lord. His friends bowed their heads in like respect. The tall man in brown and gold regarded Gawang with interest. Durbriag am I, King of the Dragons. <coughs> Clough drooled uncontrollably and wriggled under the combined weight of Flaina, Thasgar, and Gon, who steadied themselves with their arms on his back and legs. Agarkala? Durbriag narrowed his silver eyes in recognition at the elf. Did they let you out? Your time is not over yet. He raised a broad hand and gestured his fingers as if lifting something out of the air. No! 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 This body is mine! Clough's possessor clawed the dirt and arched his back. Terrific wind whirled briefly between king and elf, throwing up dust and sand, then stopped as quickly as it started. His eyes clear and his expression dazed, Clough dropped his head, unconscious. Over Durbriag's hand hovered a crimson curl of light. He blew upon it, turning it into a tiny gem that twinkled in his palm. You have served your purpose, Agarkala but have yet to learn your lesson. Regarding it with private amusement, he turned his palm and dropped it to the ground. May a thousand riads of crushing feet grind sense into you. I am indebted to thee, Lord. I understand your problem. Durbriag turned his piercing gaze to Gawan. Why did you seek this dragon stone? Do you crave such sorcerous power? No, my lord. We sought to prevent someone capable of great evil from obtaining the stone and, in the course of happenstance, accidentally released the entity. Gawan felt uncomfortable under those silver eyes, as if every part of his consciousness was bared naked before the man. He resisted the urge to shuffle his feet and turn away. 
And when Agarkala took over your friend's body, you were forced to restrain him in this unusual fashion. His stern expression softened, and he smiled at where Thasgar, Gan, and Flaina had gotten off of Clough and were rolling him over. Thou art very perceptive, Lord. Gawan rose from his knees. I would hope such. It pleases me you are a lawful man. May I have the privilege of your name? I am called Gawan. Whispers of surprise erupted from the four white-robed escorts. Durbriag himself revealed his own astonishment for an instant before masking it. He tugged absently at his pale beard, a gesture that made him seem very human to Gawan. Destiny foresaw this meeting. Flaina wiped the mud of dirt and saliva off Clough's face and frowned. He's still out. She wondered what could possibly happen next. Durbriag stepped forward and gripped Gawan's shoulder. I know you have questions, my friend. I will not be able to answer very many of them at this time. Too shocked at being addressed in the familiar, Gawan could only gape. It is good we found you before... Durbriag frowned and looked away. The atmosphere felt strangely heavy, a stillness deeper than that of the stopped time, smothering the air. I fear we shall have unpleasant company. Come. He guided the enchanter closer to where Clough and the others were. Let us stand together. Gawan instinctively sought Flaina's hand with his own as she stood beside him. What's happening? She dared to ask, her words falling dead. The enchanter could only shrug. Durbriag and his four consorts stood in a ring around the others and started singing. An aura of light became discernible around their bodies and enveloped the company. Suddenly, the world moved again. The suns drifted behind the distant mountains, sending long arms of shadow reaching across the valley. At that same instant in the cavern behind the company, the dragon coughed out a cloud of smoke and flame that licked the crystals in the ground before dissipating harmlessly. The bronze serpent turned to growl with curiosity at the puny people standing on the ledge outside. Upon recognizing Durbriag, it lowered itself respectfully and became still. Behind it, the mountain man blinked with perplexity at his surroundings. The last thing he remembered was small people attacking him, while his hounds finished their howls of fury. Lowering his torch, he wiped a stumpy finger under his bent and bulbous nose, scratched his beard absently, then plodded to the cavern entrance and leaned out cautiously, curiosity making his eyes round. Durbriag and his escorts fell silent, all eyes looking on the cliff's ledge and beyond. A fog rose above the cliff from the forest below and quickly obscured the horizon and the shining rims of the setting suns. A shape took form, swirling in the midst of the shifting vapors. A tall, slender woman with long, straight black hair cascading down her back stepped onto the cliff. 
She raked her dark eyes over its occupants and the cavern beyond. A long, clinging black robe flowed down from her bony shoulders and swirled above where legs should have been instead of mist. Her bewitching eyes, with changing hues of crimson, emerald, white, and night, stabbed at the company through the descending twilight. Behind her in the murky fog rose intermittent outlines of seven great dragons. What sounded like distant thunder at first was the rising and fading growl of these seven consorts. With disdain, she noted the presence of the bronze dragon in the cavern. Cautiously, she stepped further onto the ledge and glanced about warily as if expecting a trap. Satisfied there was none, she stood with confidence and leveled her gaze at Durbriag. Who caused the disturbance? Was it thee? Ah, Vyrie, ever charming. She sneered contemptuously. Durbriag's voice came into the minds of Gawain and his companions. This is Vyrie, my iniquitous queen. She rules all dragons of the sea and the underground. She is cruel and merciless and despises myself and all that I condone. Beware her questions. The smallest seed can sprout many weeds. The enchanter wondered, why do these two dragon monarchs appear in human form? To his surprise, Durbriag answered his unspoken question. Because of our disagreements, my queen and I choose to meet each other in neutral human form as a condition of mutual safety. We can use our complete powers only while in dragon form, thus... If either one of us approaches the other in our natural state, such will be construed as a challenge for battle. Gawan could think of many descriptions for human, but few would fit into the category of neutral. Indeed. During the entire exchange, which took the moment of only two heartbeats to complete, Vyrie regarded the company with obvious distaste, her lips pressed tight and curled with contempt. Flaina experienced a strange combination of jealousy and fear at the sight of this woman that left her feeling cold, though she did not know why. She had never before even heard of a king or queen of dragons, therefore she could not have known of Vyrie's existence. And, upon hearing Durbriag's explanation in her mind, she knew Vyrie posed no immediate threat. Nonetheless, she felt a need for comfort and reached for Gawan's hand. Vyrie caught this small motion between the couple, and she pointed an ominous finger at the enchanter. Durbriag's warning still fresh in his thoughts, Gawan rubbed his chin and decided it would be wise to remain elusive. The dragon monarch's concerns were none of his, and he trusted Durbriag would shield him from any harm. Remembering his conversation with Agarkala, I am an insignificant insect. The queen scowled with annoyance. Such would be true if Durbriag wasn't protecting you. I only protect them from your short temper. 
this is not the only reason you are here. Her eyes turned deepest black. Why did you stop time? Was it for them? The cessation of time was not of my doing. You lie. Do not accuse me of that which you find so easy. I was drawn here just as you were. Recoiling slightly, Vyrie's eyes changed hue, and she broke away from his gaze. No, of course you wouldn't lie. She renewed her verbal assault on Gaewan. Then this was of your doing. Gaewan was about to reply when Durbriag intervened. No, Vyrie, neither he nor his associates are responsible. The enchanter contained his relief. He was not sure if it had been his fault. So, you play games. Games, my dear. You tell me who isn't to blame, but not who is. Are you so malicious that you must seek and punish someone for something that has harmed nothing? She pointed her long, thin finger at him. Don't try to lessen the significance of time being stopped. Her eyes wandered around the ledge and the surrounding mountains as her accusing finger wavered. You are hiding something important from me. I can feel it. Her eyes, now crimson, narrowed in thought. The time stop affected all but you, me, and these two legs. The center of the vortex was here. And if someone is not responsible, then, then something, something is. But things cannot act or do unless they are used like a weapon or an artifact. Therefore... Again, she leveled her gaze directly at Gaewan. I will ask you again, human. Who are you? A sensation of mild warmth ran like syrup over his body as he felt Vyrie's intensity focusing solely on him and, despite Durag's presence, he had a sudden urge to explain himself, his life, the cavern, the crystal, everything to her. Just as he was opening his mouth, You are free to say nothing. It was nothing more than a gentle reminder, yet it broke the spell Vyrie had somehow cast over him, and he had control of himself again. Yes, you are free to be Durbriag's puppet and say nothing until he pulls your string. I am no one's puppet. I am a freeman. Ah, it talks. Her eyes shifted to a ghostly white. I was beginning to wonder. Now, won't you come and talk with me? Interested in her change of disposition, Gawan considered her request, then noted how Durbriag and his four consorts maintained their positions encircling him and his friends. He guessed that as long as he remained within this circle, he was safe from Vyrie's machinations. We are talking. True, but it would be much more pleasant to speak in confidence, hmm? Her eyes turned a deep emerald green. 
and it would be only proper for you to tell me your name. You do know mine, after all. She smiled sweetly. You may call me Enchanter. He had slipped earlier in revealing his name to Calron. I won't be that careless again. Oh. She looked downcast, like a woman who had been refused a favor from a courtier. A wave of dizziness overcame Gaewan, and he felt sorry for disappointing her, for not sharing his thoughts with her. All he had to do was explain who he was exactly and what he was doing here. That isn't dangerous, is it? This time it was Flaina who nudged him, <coughs> breaking the spell again, and he collected his wits. Seeing her second attempt fail, Vyrie glanced obliquely at Durbriag. I see my dear husband has deceived you concerning my intentions. I can only imagine the horrible things he has said about me. You are his queen, is all I know. It hadn't occurred to him that Durbriag might not be all he appeared. And that is all I am, a simple queen. Does that frighten you? Realizing he knew nothing more about her except for her obvious enmity with Durbriag, he replied truthfully, No. Then come stand with me, Enchanter. She beckoned with a slender hand. Gaewan felt an instant of disorientation, a moment of spinning and falling in deepest night, and suddenly he was standing alone in an enclosed cave. A small fire burned in a circle of rocks on the ground before him, its flames idly licking away at a blackened log. Just as he turned to look for his companions, and noticed the rock was different from the cavern where all this had started, that same slender hand caressed his shoulder from behind, then grabbed him and spun him about. Before him was Vyrie, her torso wrapped in a strip of crimson, covering only one ample breast and leaving the other bare. Her green eyes drew him in as she licked her full lips with a tantalizing tongue and rubbed her fingers teasingly over his chest. Being an enchanter, you seek great power, no? <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> of course. You can't really answer that because you have never tasted true power. I ask you, Enchanter. She ran a finger gently over his neck to his ear. To consider my power, I have much to offer you. He blinked in confusion as he tried to understand why she was doing this to him. At the same time, he could feel the warm kindling in his loins at her appearance and her erotic beauty. The musky scent of her arousal tickled his nostrils. I can make you ruler of an entire world, if you wish. I can make you anything. Let me show you the wonders of the causal plane. She pressed her body against his and pulled him close, then stepped back and stroked her hands over her breasts. Suckle me. I will give you what no other woman can. He couldn't seem to figure her height 
One moment she was eye to eye with him, his equal. Another she was smaller, more fragile. And yet another she towered over him like a magnificent goddess of lust and physical passion, her voluptuous body framed by her long black hair. He struggled inwardly with the part of him that wanted nothing more than to tear off her red sash and take her passionately there beside the fire. Such an act, though offered and easy and... He glanced around the firelit cave. Apparently private was wrong. His heart was bonded with another, and he would not, could not, betray that bond. And yet I am alone here with her, far away from Durbriag and his friends. And Flaina. Or am I? How could Vyri have simply plucked me out of Durbriag's protective circle? Maybe she hasn't. Perhaps as Durbriag connected with my thoughts, so... So has Vyri. Perhaps this is nothing more than an elaborate illusion. I'm not illusion enchanter. Feel me. She took his hand and pressed it to her bare breast. The nipple was enticingly firm beneath his palm. Then touched her tongue to his throat and made wet circles on his skin. I can be very rewarding when it is deserved. Without realizing it, Vairi had proven her intrusion into his mind. She had denied his thought without him speaking it. Deciding to use this advantage before she could read his perceptions, why do you want me? You are a demigod, the queen of dragons, whilst I am a lowly mortal. Why am I so important to you? Why are you so important to Durbria? She toyed with the laces on his tunic. I wasn't aware that I was. She smiled knowingly as she pressed her hips hungrily against him. The sexual vibration radiating from her physical insistence was nearly overpowering and wrapped her arms around his shoulders. Isn't it obvious, Enchanter? Her tantalizing lips pouted at him. Kiss me. Suck on me. I will be yours. The fire burning beside them felt hotter, its flames now enveloping and devouring the log, the intensifying light making her pale skin glow. Gawan found difficulty in maintaining his resistance to her bewitching lust. She's so beautiful. He closed his eyes and tried to work this out. Not seeing her so close helped. Then he remembered that, like Durbriag, she was not as she appeared. Neither of them were truly human, but serpents taking human form. I am only spirit within a mortal shell. What are you? I am a queen of dragons within a woman's shell, and I desire you. He opened his eyes to see her face as close as his breath, her lips slightly parted, her emerald eyes drawing him inside. Though his ego delighted in the treatment, his heart intervened. Sexual intimacy without affection, without love, without devotion, is nothing, 
a flower without petals, wine without flavor, food without the power of sustenance. Worse, the physical act performed carelessly with whomever, even without passion, is a betrayal to oneself and one's mate. These facts were part of his consciousness, interwoven into the fiber of his awareness, and their truths shone through his days like a beam of white fire through a murky fog. Vairi stopped caressing him as she sensed the change in him, the way his body went rigid. Do you not desire me? Seeing her as she was, a temptress exuding desire as a lure, while seeking matronly control of those foolish enough to succumb, he wondered how he could ever have had a desire for her body accepting his. No. He held his jaw firm, angry with his body's erotic urges for leading him this close to self-betrayal. She searched his eyes. Why not? Because this is a lie. You are not truly a woman. You do not love me. You do not know me. You invade my thoughts and twist them against me. I do not invade, Enchanter. She touched her tongue to her full lips. We are sharing, as lovers do. I delve psychically into your mind, and you delve sexually into my body. She brushed her groin against his. As long as you desire me, I can explore your thoughts. Is this not a pleasurable exchange? He removed her hands from his neck and pushed her back. No! Just the idea that he had already been tricked, been unwillingly used like a psychic paramour, disgusted him utterly. She moved forward and raised a hand tentatively to touch his arm. No one will know, not even your chosen. He grabbed her wrist in his, seeing in her a personification of the most powerful negative force, the goddess Kali. You would have me betray my own heart, and then you would discard me once you acquired whatever it is you sought. I refuse to be taken to... To be sucked dry by a demigod whore, a psychic leech. Silence! Her eyes flashed a livid crimson as she snatched her arm away and stepped back. The submissive female was gone. In her place, a spurned and furious woman. The fire shrank, smothered by an unseen force. The mist that had been swirling around her knees came to life and boiled up to swathe her body in darkening fog. She pointed that long, thin finger at him. You will regret this, Enchanter, for as long as you live. With a severe jolt, he was abruptly back on the ledge under the twilit sky, his friends beside him, Durbriag and his escort standing around them. Vairi was dressed in black again, standing on the cliff's edge surrounded in mist, her finger still pointing at him. You miserable worm of a man. No one denies me. You offered what amounted to nothing. You received same. The bewildered looks exchanged among his friends made him wonder if anyone, including Durbriag, knew what had just happened. Vairi's eyes shifted to black, 
Bottomless holes in a white face glared at him from out of the fog. And what has Durbriag offered you? Pray tell. Gawain began to understand why she seemed bent on gaining his allegiance. Apparently she thought some arrangement had been made between he and the King of Dragons, though what sort of deal and why eluded his imagination. Absolutely nothing, just like you. She weighed unseen convictions. I don't believe you. Then tell me this. He decided to cut through the obliqueness. For what would Durbriag be offering me something? Astonished, she looked between Gawain and Durbriag. Has this been nothing but a game? The only one playing games is you, Vyrie. And apparently you have lost. This human has made his choice. Choice, is it? Then you will die with your great Mist boiled up around her human shape and swirled into a high cyclone. Flame and acid spattered the rock, a tremendous serpent filling the area where Vyrie had stood. An angry roar rolled out of the fog and was answered with a terrible bellow from the bronze dragon in the cavern. Gawain and his companion stared up in horror at the hideous, two-headed serpent that appeared in her place, its heads twisting in a frenzied dance. Rearing on her hind legs, she moved a great foot forward. The stone ledge shook from her weight. Both her jaws fell open, and clouds of flame and acid spewed forth to eat stone and burn flesh. Everyone, close your eyes! of Doom, Part 3, Enchanter's Lot. The sound plays were written, recorded, directed, mastered, and produced by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Copyright 2022. Character voices for Episode 3 are performed by Richard Hammer, Darcy Aradell Hotelling, Marcel Hammer, Beverly Revis, and H, the Great and Powerful. The novel and its sequels are available through Amazon.com on Kindle Books, can be ordered at your favorite bookseller, or can be purchased directly and at best price with additional bonuses from the author, that's me, by submitting a request to our email. Music for the Harkin Theater was composed and performed by Evan McDonald, Florian Serral, Francesco D'Andrea, Atlas Mason, High Street Music of London and licensed by PremiumBeat.com. Public domain music performances are licensed under Lieber Lieber Creative Commons. More detailed music and performer credits can be requested from the Harkin Theater at Yahoo.com. Sound effects and original foley provided by Cusp Studios and the BBC Library.
This was recorded on location in the universe.